Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. As New York City and the world mark 20 years since the 9-11 attacks, we remember the attacks with two novels, one for adults, the other for young readers, that capture the terror, heartbreak, fear, and profound loss experienced on that clear September day in 2001 and how it affected so many in the days, weeks, and years that followed. I'm Lisa Chernkovich, and this is Chapter 194 of the WCBS Author Talks podcast. Whenever tragedy strikes, one of the questions victims, family members, and survivors spend a lot of time thinking about is what if? That was especially true on 9-11. What if I hadn't overslept? What if I had taken a different flight? What if I didn't stop for that cup of coffee on the way into the office? That idea is central to Paper Airplanes, the debut novel from Tabitha Forney. Erin O'Connor is drinking margaritas on a beach in Majorca when she hears a plane has crashed into the building her husband Daniel works in. The story that follows is filled with grief, loss, and the struggle to find the strength to keep going. I knew that a novel set in the aftermath of the 9-11 attacks was going to be a tough read, but I wasn't prepared for the emotional gut punch that your book delivered because I've never been on the brink of tears the entire time that I've read a book. Like there's some books where you get a little misty eyed and then you laugh a little bit and then you can move on and then maybe you cry again. But your story, it was just, I mean... It, it's nothing unlike anything I've ever read. And I can't even imagine what you must have felt like writing it. <laughs> I know. It's so interesting to get that feedback from readers because as a writer, you know, this I'm writing this over a course of years and you're reading it over a course of hours. And the emotions are, I guess, so much more intense is what I'm learning from reader feedback. And it's just really interesting to get that perspective because try as I might, I can't take it in that way because I wrote it and it's, you know, over years. And so it's just invaluable to get that kind of feedback. And I'm, I'm not sure that it's a good thing to keep people crying about it, but, but I appreciate that I struck a chord, I guess. This is your debut and it's, I mean, it's, it's a weighty debut. When did you know that this was the kind of story you wanted to write? My husband was in the North Tower on 9-11. He was on the 85th floor. So there's a lot of similarities to the beginning of Aaron's story and my story. So I didn't really know I wanted to write this story, though, until September 2015 when we visited the 9-11 Museum and Memorial and kind of just the sensory overload of that experience really affected me. 
And that's when I started to write Daniel's story, the prologue. But as, as far as writing, I was writing before that. I had written, you know, a few novels that are in the proverbial drawer. But his story definitely grabbed me during that visit in September 2015. And then I just, I, I just felt like I had to write it almost for myself to explore the what if, my own what if, of if my husband hadn't made it and hadn't been lucky enough to get out of the building. I think when something... It- as catastrophic as 9-11 happened. And there were all these little, you, you, there were all these stories of survival that were characterized by these what ifs, that maybe someone got in somebody's way so they missed the train that would have gotten them to work early. Or a mm-hmm. kid was sick. Or, you know, they they overslept, the alarm didn't go off. And no. you, you do get into that in this book. Erin, your main character, also feels it's her fault. And I'm sure there right. were lots of people who felt that way. You stir up all these emotions as that I forgot I had even had in the in the days after and weeks after the attacks, which mm-hmm. was, which was really strange for me because you know I was living in New York, I was working in news, I watched it unfold in re- real time, like everyone around the world. And it's mm-hmm. to to go back there because I try to put that in a box sometimes because every year when you when you do the anniversary coverage. You know, I can't even imagine what that's like for you, knowing your husband survived, but but knowing that there was just this this thin line between survival and death. It is impactful. And like I said in the in the acknowledgments, you just kind of have to move on. Right. As a survivor, you have to get on with your life. Um, but at the same time, um, we I think we both still look back at that like, wow, I can't believe we went through that. And I think especially with the weight of time and perspective of what a huge event that was for our country. You know, at the time I digested it as a personal event. <laughs> and I remember even back then it took me a while to realize or to, or to think about it as an event that happened to our country because it was such a personal traumatic event for me. I mean, I thought my husband was dead for a couple hours after I watched his building go down. I was sitting at a pub in London, which was the only TV I could find near our office. And I, you know, I thought he was dead and I just remember being in shock. And of course, that was a very personal feeling, like to think that your husband is dead, right? And we hadn't been married that long. We'd been married maybe a year and a half, almost two years. And and so I think I absorbed it from that perspective and then later came to grasp, you know, the magnitude of what 9-11 was. And I think just with the weight of time going forward, it becomes almost more amazing each year when we look back on it and think that we were involved in that and think how close he was to death, like twice, because once when the plane hit and then again later, um, he was in the tunnels when World Trade Center 2 came down, which was the second to be hit, but the first to fall. He was in the tunnels and he had just turned a corner and he was, he was very close to, I think, being um, lost in that in that as well. So yeah, the, the, what, the, what if that bright line, like I said, I mean, I think there were like, it's a matter of like approximately 60 feet between where he was in the building and then people who were just trapped and could not get out and exploring that, that line, that bright line. And, and why, why was there such a bright line? And people tell him, well, God intended big things for you. And he thinks, well, what about the people above the line? Did God not intend big things for them. And so that's a real struggle as well. Just, you know, I guess coming to grips with your survival when other people didn't. 
And I know that all that plays out in the book, all those of the uh, whether God had something meant for someone, the fact that people like to tell other people that it's time to move on, but everyone has their own timeline is when to do it. And you, the grief you portray in this book is is so raw. Mm-hmm. Yes, right. One of the things and one of the reasons I wanted to write this book is I was trying to imagine what I would have done in London being stuck there if I hadn't heard from my husband, if I hadn't talked to him that night. And how would I have even gotten through those four or five days when planes weren't flying and I couldn't even come home to look for him. And, you know, I would have just been stuck in London with like one colleague that I barely knew. Um, and so thinking about that and then, and then Aaron's story, you know, went from there, her outcome was different from mine. And then she just kept running, you know, like I think I would have had to been put in an institution and then who knows what I would have done afterwards, but I don't think I would have just gone back to New York and kept living my life, you know, as if nothing had happened. And so, yeah, she just kept running away from it and running from the pain. And every time she went somewhere and that place couldn't contain her sorrow, her grief, her anger, she would move on until she was finally ready to come back and face it. Where did this idea of using paper airplanes come in? That's a good question. Well, the paper airplanes have symbolism now that I can look back (laughs) and kind of retrofit. Um, And one is obviously the airplane, of course, the symbolism of the airplane. Um, A second one is that the airplane to me was kind of transformed into paper as it went into the building. The, The airplane was engulfed and, you know, paper flew out. I mean, fire and smoke as well. But I just remember the images of paper floating down over the city and because of all the paper that was in all those offices. So paper is also a theme. And then as far as the the story of Daniel and Aaron and how they met with the paper airplane, I honestly can't remember how that scene came to me. Um, it's one of my favorite scenes where, um, where they met and he floats the paper airplane towards her. And then that's how they get engaged as well. And and Daniel is a master paper airplane engineer. And do do master paper airplane engineers exist? Like that's real. I'm sure sure they. I'm sure they do. But I haven't actually researched that part of it. Um, But yeah, I I mean, there's something for everyone, right? (laughs) We are coming up on the 20th anniversary. How do you spend 9/11? This is a really hard one because you don't really want to have a party, right? It doesn't seem like a, an event fitting, befitting a party. Um, you want to have a gathering. So um, we don't do something every year. My husband is asked to speak about his experience a lot coming down from the 85th floor. And there's been a lot written about it, and he does a lot of talks, and I think that helps him therapeutically. So sometimes he'll give a talk. Usually it'll just be probably our family and maybe his his parents and you know, just a gathering, maybe a dinner um, to be thankful. And can you tell us how this book is helping 9-11 charitable organizations? I'm donating a dollar from every book sold in 2021 to the Tunnel to Towers Foundation, which honored Stephen Silver, who was a firefighter who ran um, through the tunnel with all of his gear on from New Jersey to help save people in the World Trade Center. And his brother um, started this charity and they they reenact his run every year so a dollar from every book sold is going to that foundation which 
um, really struck me because there is a run in paper airplanes. There's a run that Aaron organizes. And um, so I just felt like it was fitting. And Tunnel to Towers does a lot of great things, um, even currently. I mean, they're one of the 9-11 charities that has survived this far and has, you know, they, they help first responders all around the country. We do a lot um, of stories about all the good work that they do. Yes, absolutely. It just didn't feel fitting to put this book out there and not give back in some way. So that's one small way that I'm trying to give back. Every time we meet firefighters, um, you know, I just I feel so grateful to people like that who put their lives on the line because if it weren't for the firefighters in the tunnel after the second, after World Trade Center 2 came down, I don't believe my husband would have been able to find his way out because it was pitch black down there. And there was one firefighter behind him who came up with a, you know, a floodlight and, and led them out. And so we're very grateful. Even all these years later, these whenever I hear a story I haven't heard before, I just get goosebumps. <laughs> I know it is. And, and that's one of the reasons I wanted to write this book, because I've been asked that a lot. Why, why did you choose to write this as a fiction account? One was to explore it, you know, as a what if, a what if story of, on a personal level. But also in tragedies like this, there's no way that we can absorb all those people's stories of everyone who was lost and everyone who got out. It's just, we're not capable of comprehending that, but we can explore it through one person's story. And, and that's why I chose to, to write the story of Aaron and Daniel. At the very top, uh, you mentioned hearing from readers. Are you hearing from a specific kind of reader? Are you hearing from 9-11 survivors? Are you hearing from 9-11 widows or is it just readers overall? It's mostly readers overall. I'd love to hear from some 9-11 widows and survivors. Um, I hope that I, I tried to honor them and to, you know, honor their experience. And I, I hope that I got that right. And it's really a homage to 9-11 firefighters and the victims and the city itself. Um, but I haven't heard from a lot of them. I've heard from a lot of, um, you know, arc readers like through NetGalley and their reviews have been super positive and encouraging. And then from people that I know, um, especially like my mom, right? Like that's a tough one. And, you know, she, she had nothing but wonderful things to say about it. And everybody, a lot of her friends have read it. A lot of my friends have read it. And um, I, I just feel very encouraged by everyone's feedback. And I'm sure there'll be some reviews that aren't as glowing, but right now I'm reveling in in the fact that the tone I was trying to strike um, and the story I was trying to tell at least got through. So as a a writer, you don't always know that. (laughs) So it's good to hear. Well, we've been talking with Tabitha Forney. The new book is Paper Airplanes. Thank you for your time today, Tabitha. Thank you, Lisa. I really appreciate it. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Hi, I'm your inner dream monologue, and you're fast asleep, so I'll be quick. Great job using the Colgate Optic White Overnight Teeth Whitening Pen before bed. When used as directed, it gives you a visibly whiter smile in just seven days. 
So while I fly and talk to animals, you're removing teeth stains with ease. Sweet dreams. And when you wake up, keep on living life to the brightest. Colgate Optic White. Find it at all major retailers. Any adult can tell you where they were on the morning of September 11th and what exactly they were doing when they first heard a plane had flown into one of the Twin Towers. But 20 years later, there's a whole generation of kids who have no memory of what that day was like. To them, it's a history lesson. Best-selling young adult author Alan Gratz has written books about difficult real-life topics before. In his new book, Ground Zero, he seeks to give those too young to remember an idea of what it was like on that day, as well as what happened in Afghanistan as a result. He spoke with our Peter Haskell. This is not a sanitized account of 9-11 in any way. And I'm curious, for, for young readers, how raw is too raw? It's a great question and one that I struggle with. I've written about really difficult topics for middle grade readers. That's uh, like ages 8 to 14. And I've written about the Holocaust. I've written about terrorism. I've written about war. In general, I find that if you sugarcoat things for kids, it does a real disservice in a, a few different ways. Number one, it does a disservice to the people who lived through or perhaps died in uh, the event that you're talking about. And you never want to make something seem like it was uh, easier, gentler, um, not as bad as it really was. But also kids can really tell when you're talking down to them. They can tell when you are keeping things from them. So I try to be as raw and as honest as I can about a particular situation. The only the only thing I do uh, that, that is specifically done because I'm writing for young readers is I try not to be too gory or too graphic. So I will tell you that someone is horribly burned or I will tell you that someone has been shot and killed or uh, in, in some other way hurt. But I don't necessarily feel like I have to go into a graphic description of what that looks like. And that allows my more mature readers to fill in the blanks in their heads and my less mature readers to understand what happened without necessarily having to see an image of it in their own mind. And yet there's an emotional power of what you have written. I mean, I read this book, I'm an adult, I'm familiar with the story of 9-11, I've covered it for 20 years, and yet the words were so powerful, it was, it was hard to read. Thank you for saying that, and uh, it was hard to write. Uh, I first tried to write about 9-11 10 years ago and found that it was still too soon, and for me at least, and for the editor I was working with at the time. She had been in New York City, uh, like much of the publishing industry, when it happened. Uh, I, I grew up in Knoxville, Tennessee, and was, was living and working in Tennessee uh, on September 11, 2001. But like many Americans, I, I still was really emotionally wrecked by that day. And it, ten years later, I still couldn't write about it. And then twenty years later, when I wanted to write about it, I thought, well, it's been twenty years. Of, I've got to be able to approach this now in, in, in a less emotional way. And of course, what I discovered is, as soon as I went back into the research to write this book, it was devastating emotionally to me all over again. So I, I think that I know that it was difficult for me to research and write. And 
I know that must make it difficult for others to read, but at the same time, most of my readers, well, all of my readers, were not alive on 9-11. If you're in school now and you're in kindergarten or grade school or middle school or even high school, you were born after 9-11. These are young people who did not experience it in the same way that you and I did and, and most adults did. And so I, I felt like I wanted to try and channel that, that raw emotion that I was feeling and, and help them understand how I felt and how many other Americans felt that day. Why was it so important for you to take on this very heavy and weighted subject? I've had I've had young readers asking me to write a book about 9-11 for years. And like I said, I avoided it because uh, of my own emotional response to it and my own fear of, of going back into the research and how difficult that, that would be. But I also began to understand that, look, we, we say never forget for 9-11. That's one of the, the rally cries uh, of 9-11. And, and we, we, we memorialize the event every year in September. But we don't really talk about 9-11 much as adults. Um, we, we, we avoid it. We avoid the topic. And, and I think that's for a variety of reasons. Um, I, I, I think that we didn't get much closure uh, on 9-11. And I think that, that we still have a lot of um, mixed up feelings about that day and our, particularly our response to that day in the 20 years since. And so we don't often talk about this with kids and they have a very they have a very thin understanding of what that day was. I remember an anecdote. Um, I had a teacher uh, on one of my school visits tell me that uh, she'd been in a kindergarten classroom and a kid had built a tower out of blocks and then flew a toy airplane into it and said, oh, it's 9-11. And that's the only understanding that that young person had of 9-11 was that an airplane had hit a building. They didn't understand how devastating that moment was for the rest of us. And for, for all the adults in that child's life. And, and I think that, that was the key for me, was helping them understand that this wasn't just a thing that happened. It had so many more consequences emotionally and historically than, than they realized. Do you suspect that for some kids, this, I don't want to say if it's the only 9-11 education they get, but it's a good part of it. And how do you think we're doing as a country teaching kids about the events? You know, I, I hope it's not the only education they're getting about 9-11. And what, I, what I've learned from a lot of educators, the, so the book came out in February, and that was intentional to give educators a chance to read it and decide if they wanted to use it in the classroom when the anniversary came around later this fall. And I've heard back from a number of educators who told me that they are planning on using it and that they are beginning to work uh, a 9-11 unit into their their teaching. And so I think that while it's been a, a, a topic that has not been covered a lot in schools, I think more and more schools are going to begin to teach it. And hopefully books like mine, and, and there are other great books out there for young readers about 9-11, hopefully those books will get, begin to be incorporated into their curricula and, and and, and, and we'll start to talk about this more. You talk about the fact that teachers are going to use this book in schools. With that said, do you feel a responsibility to make sure the historical record is accurate? Absolutely. So when I write historical fiction, it is imperative to me that I... Look, I'm writing novels. They are fiction. 
but it's important to me to make up as little as possible in the story. That is to make sure that as much of the story is as accurate and as real as possible, knowing that teachers are going to often put these into young people's hands and say, read this if you want to know what happened on 9-11, if you want to know what's happening in the war in Afghanistan. So where I fictionalize things, of course, are in my characters. The, all of my characters are fictional, and I drop those fictional children into the middle of a real event. But I really try to make sure that everything that we see happen to those characters, everything that they do is something that happened to a real person on that day uh, and, and during that event that I'm writing about. Um, it, it, that's a challenge because it, it, it means doing a lot of research into many different people's experiences and trying to weave those into one fictional child's experience. But to me, I don't want to make something up and then have somebody come back and say, oh, well, that didn't really happen on 9-11. When there were so many awful things that did, there's no reason to make up anything new. Like I, There were things that happened on 9-11 that I had to leave out just because I didn't have room to put them in. So... Yes, for me, the, the challenge is to make it as historically accurate as possible, um, but also tell a good story. You know, also, uh, as Mark Twain said, don't let, don't let the truth get in the way of a good story. Um, but, but I know that, my, that my, the, the educators who are using my books are relying on me to get my facts right. You talk about the characters. You have two main characters in your book with distinctly different points of view. Tell us about how you created these two characters and where you place them. The first of the two characters is Brandon. He is nine years old uh, and he uh, gets in trouble at school for fighting against a bully and he's suspended and he has to go in to work with his dad at Windows on the World, the restaurant at the top of the North Tower of the World Trade Center up on the 107th floor. And he is dealing with his own issues and, 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 and has his own stuff going on when he's caught in an elevator when the first plane hits. And now everything else that he was worried about is irrelevant. Uh, much the way I felt like with many Americans, all the little things that we were worried about that day suddenly became irrelevant as we dealt with this much larger issue. And uh, now he is separated from his father, and he has to try and survive and see if he can rescue his father. With Brandon, I really wanted a point-of-view character who was in the World Trade Center who could show us what happened to the people who were in the buildings when those planes hit and the, the confusion and the panic and the way that people came together and helped each other, but also the, the miscommunications and the, the impossible decisions that they had to make along the way. Um, and then my second character, I knew that I, well, let me back up and say, I knew I could write a book of, that was just about 9-11, about that day. But the problem is that at the end of that day, the message of that day was Muslim terrorists are coming to kill us. Because that day it was true. But that hasn't been the story of the last 20 years. Uh, in the last 20 years, we've had uh, lots of other problems that, that face us pandemics, racism, climate change, domestic terrorism, you know, and, and so I didn't want to write a book that 20 years later said, oh no, Muslims are coming to kill us and, 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 and stir up Islamophobia again. 
And so it was important to me to show another side of things, and that was to show what has happened in the last 20 years and where we are now. And for that, I created the character of Reshmina. She is uh, 11 years old. She's an Afghan girl. She has hopes and dreams of, of using her ability to speak English, uh, her, her English skills to become a teacher or a translator to help out her family. But then she goes through her own version of 9-11 in the present day as her village becomes a battleground between the United States and the Taliban. Because I, I, one of the biggest consequences, of course, of 9-11 is the war in Afghanistan, which began the month after uh, September 11th and is still going on. Uh, it, it is now the longest war in American history. And I wanted to show that side of things, that perspective, and how the world viewed 9-11. So w between Brandon and Rashmina, I go back and forth and, and um, try to draw parallels and connections between those two characters along the way. Well, you said it. You could have easily had a book just with the World Trade Center story. Why was it important for you to get this perspective from this Afghan girl? So one of the big questions that was asked by, by a lot of American media and books that have been written in the years since uh, was how did we not see this coming, right? That's the big question that many books about 9-11 focus on, many books written here in the United States. But I also read books that were written by European authors, and I was trying to get other perspectives on 9-11. And those books don't say, how did they not see it coming? They, they ask, what precipitated this? What did the United States do that's, that made somebody so angry at them that they would do this? And obviously, nothing like this is ever justified. I'm, I'm not saying that it is. But we have to ask ourselves, why in the world would somebody do this to us? And at the time, the easy answer was, uh, they hate our freedom. They hate our, our capitalist lifestyle. They, 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 hate, you know, they hate democracy. Uh, and those are really easy and, and really thin answers. Because what I really discovered was that most of the world is, doesn't really care about that stuff. They, they're worrying about their own day-to-day -day survival. What they care about is when the United States gets involved in their day-to-day -day life and messes things up. And I wanted to show that, that we have a history as the United States of sticking our noses into problems all around the world. And when you stick your nose into a hornet's nest, sometimes you get stuck. What do you hope kids take from this book? I, I hope there's a number of things. I, I, I hope that, number one, they just understand what happened on 9-11 and, 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 and how the world that they were born into is different than the world that their parents were born into because of 9-11. That's number one. Uh, but, but the book is also about impossible choices. It's about when, when, when you're presented with a, a, a decision you have to make, you can't walk away from the decision, but no matter which one you choose, there's always going to be a wrong answer. And to me, that's very much a metaphor for the war in Afghanistan right now. If we walk away, then we will stop losing American servicemen and servicewomen who are serving there. We'll stop uh, being the agents of, uh, of, of, uh, 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 of civilian injuries and, and, and death. Uh, but at the same time, if we walk away, the Taliban will likely uh, Afghanistan will fall into a civil war and the Taliban will likely take over again. There's no good answer there. And there are no good answers for my characters along the way. 
I also want kids to understand that that we can get farther in this world by by not working against each other, but for each other. That by working together, we can do more. And then a big thing about this book is that you really can't help somebody while you're also hurting. You know, we're fighting a war in Afghanistan while we're also trying to build hospitals and roads and 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 and, and, and establish better freedoms and rights for women there. And all that's great. But if we're still dropping bombs and we're still killing civilians by accident in this war against the Taliban, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm not sure that one outweighs the other. Um, and so I, I deal with a lot of these things in there. Number one, I just want kids to understand what happened on 9/11, but also to think about the consequences of of, of our actions since then. This, I think, was a compelling read for kids and adults. And Alan, thanks so much for your time. Thank you so much, Peter. I appreciate it. And that's where we close the book on this chapter. As we put more years between us and what happened on 9-11, it's natural to forget exactly how we felt on that day. But may we never forget all the lives lost then and in the years that followed. I'm Lisa Cherkovich. <laughs>